May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Well, today is the Sunday before before Memorial Day, a holiday related to our nation's history and life. And the purpose of this holiday is not just days off from work and barbecues, but to remember with thanksgiving and honor those who have given their lives in the service of our country. I hope we will all remember that tomorrow as we take our day off and eat our burgers and brats and whatever else we might decide to prepare and grill. But today in the church calendar is Trinity Sunday, which is always celebrated the Sunday after Pentecost. I've never read anything stating this definitively, but I have a hunch that the Sunday after Pentecost was chosen as Trinity Sunday because with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the apostles and us, there is a completeness or fullness in our experience of God. John the Baptist told those who flocked to the Jordan to be baptized by him, I baptize you with water, but one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Spirit was a moment of graduation for the apostles from being followers of Jesus to proclaimers of Jesus, and it was the beginning of their ministries. They had learned from their Jewish heritage about God who created the universe, our world, and us, and has set before us the ways of life and death with the message, choose life. They had learned to understand themselves as wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God, and having been made for a purpose. From that heritage, they also learned of the promise of the coming Messiah in Jesus. They recognized that the promise had been fulfilled. The Son of God, the Word made flesh full of grace and truth, a light to the world and a source of grace, and messenger of God's love and mercy. With the coming of the Spirit, they were filled with passion and power which enabled them to overcome all fear and self-doubt and proclaim the good news of Jesus to all the world. They experienced the presence of God in these three ways, traditionally referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also as Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. So it makes sense that the week after Pentecost, we should celebrate this threefold presence of God in our lives. Truthfully, though, it poses an intellectual problem, which quite a few theologians through the centuries have grappled with. How can it be that one is three? How can the same God who is the subject of here, O Israel, Israel, the Lord our God is one, also be Father, Son, and Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. In my opinion, 
there's no answer that we can comprehend. So I'm not going to try and answer that question in this sermon, so you can all relax. Like every seminary student, I did spend lots of time reading about and studying numerous theological attempts to answer that question, but I, in my honest opinion, it cannot be answered with mere human concepts. It's a mystery. There are many things in life that are essentially mysteries to us, especially things regarding God, and this is one of them. Isaiah said, for as the heavens are higher than earth, so has God saying, for as the heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts higher than yours. In Psalm 139, the psalmist meditating on the depth of God's knowledge of everything and his God's presence everywhere says, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And also in the same psalm, freely admits that such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Well, I make no pretense of being wiser or more inspired than the person who wrote those words. So rather than trying to intellectually comprehend the mystery of the Trinity, let's consider how we, like those apostles of, and saint of old and saints in every generation, have experienced the Trinity in their lives as ways of, as ways of experiencing and knowing God. Well, you know that song in the sound of music, the do, re, mi, it starts out, let's start at the very beginning, the very best place to start. Good idea. So here is Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The first thing that the Bible does is acknowledge that God is the creator. The creator of everything. But that is hardly the last thing it says about God as creator of everything. Everything including us. There's a running theme throughout the Bible, especially in the Psalms, which say not only that God created everything, but that the creation speaks to us of God. From Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. And from Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? And Paul, in the first chapter of Romans, 
acknowledges that even the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the pagans should have some and can have some sense of God. And he, as he writes, ever since God created the world, his invisible qualities, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. They are perceived in the things that God has made. Now, I could cite many more passages, but the point is not about how many verses there are in the Bible that say this, but rather that creation is speaking to us of God. I think it was for me, my first really deep experiences of God came through the creation. And as I was writing this, I began to write down all the places I'd been where I had somehow felt the presence of God expressed powerfully through the natural world. Well, I wrote a very flowery, lovely travelogue, which I have taken out of the sermon. Um, but I know that I have been blessed by having many places in the world, physical places, and experiences that have been for me set holy, where places have become sanctuaries not built by human hands. I hope you've had similar experiences, but let's just take a moment to think about it. Have you ever been someplace where the vastness or majesty of what was around you made you feel a sense of awe? Awe for the creator. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful that it was almost painful that it was brought tears to your eyes? Have you ever heard a sound in nature that just brought you delight? I find the morning, the birds singing in the morning always gives me a lift and makes me more eager for the day or heard the haunting beauty of loons calling through the mist across the lake? Where are the places where you have experienced holiness? And like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, we can also find that it is very true that we don't have to look any farther than our own backyards. Sometimes some people find God's presence working in their gardens or sitting on their patio or deck or front steps on a clear night and seeing the canopy of stars. And it's not just in the nat natural world outside of us. 
It's inside of us too. I had an experience when I was a seminarian. I was doing a, a semester of chaplaincy training at a hospital. I may have told you this sometime in the past, but I think it's worth repeating. And one of the opportunities we had during that chaplaincy experience was to observe a surgery in the operating room. And I observed an open heart surgery, triple bypass. And I stood on a box over the head, behind the anesthesiologist. I was on the box so I could see over him. And I could see into the open chest of this person. Now, I had never really before then considered what, you know, we looked like inside. I knew there were organs in there, but in my mind they were somehow just kind of mush. How do you tell them apart? You can tell them apart. It was amazing to see how carefully the body was made and made to work together. In that same psalm that I quoted earlier, 139, there are these words, for, I, for it was you who formed me, my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. If we pay attention, and as the saying goes, take time to smell the roses, we will find all creation, both mighty and beautiful, and the humble and ordinary, as well as the grand, will speak to us of God, for all is fearfully and wonderfully made. That's one way in which we know and experience God. A second way is through the person of Jesus. Jesus showed God's love to us in a relatable way. The Gospel of John says that God is spirit. That expresses an important truth, the truth that we cannot contain or place limits on God. But it can be hard to feel a personal relationship with someone or something so intangible. So the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as as of the father's only son, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God. It is God, only the Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. And Jesus came, the Word of God came, that's Word with a capital W, came not as a king or in grandeur or seeking to be served. Jesus was not, as they say, a diva but was someone who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. 
Can you imagine how Jesus came down on earth and decided, well, I'm God and I'm going to use that to my advantage? But he didn't. But rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in human likeness and found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus tells us that he comes and he, the things that he tells us are so that we might have life earthly and eternal and joy and peace. And in Jesus' teaching and example, everything we need to know about how to have a fruitful relationship with God and to live with, in peace with God and ourselves and others is revealed. Now, he doesn't reveal everything to us about God's nature, just all we need to know about how to lead full, loving, joyful lives in this world and then take our place in God's eternal realm. I have been blessed in my life to know some wonderfully kind, generous people. People who have given me a lot, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. I hope you have been too. And I thank God for those people. But I also know that as generous and wonderful as they have been and continue to be, none of them has or could ever be as generous as loving, as willing to give of oneself as Jesus. Some people might have been or might be willing to die for me and a certain group of people, but I don't think I know anyone who would die for any and every person who has ever lived, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, except Jesus. The teaching and example of that person surely reveals God's intention for our lives. And by following Jesus' teaching and example, we create situations in our lives where we experience moments when the divine breaks into our lives and touches our lives and others, moments that we pray for when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The third way we experience God is through the spirit. Jesus says that the spirit will be the spirit of truth, will be an advocate, will teach us all things and remind us of everything that Jesus has said to us and that he will testify about Jesus. In John, Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, but you cannot bear it now. But when the spirit come, of truth comes, the spirit will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will receive from me what he makes known to you. 
the Spirit, the same Spirit that hovered over the water at creation, that spoke to prophets and inspired psalmists, that empowered apostles and saints in every generation, that has inspired writers and poets and artists and musicians through the ages, and is why we say in our UCC, God is still speaking. In those aha moments, when the solution to a problem you are facing comes to you, when you gain insight into how to accomplish a task or goal, when you envision new possibilities, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. One Sunday in Lakin, we had a service in which everything, without being coordinated in advance, just came together and fit together perfectly from the prelude to the anthem to the scripture and sermon themes and even to some of the prayer requests and thanksgivings. Some people might call it that coincidence, but one of our choir members, Dennis, described them as Holy Spirit moments, and from that day forward, that's what we all called them, including the time. Well, we had doors on either side of the altar that came from the office area. And one day a little girl named Eva, who was about three years old, escaped from the nursery. And the nursery attendant didn't know whether to chase her or to uh, stay with the other children. And uh, Eva was very familiar with the church. And just as the lector was reading the words from Matthew, let the little children come to me through the door by the altar comes Eva. The lector, she was behind the lector, so the lector was kind of confused as why everybody in the, the congregation was trying to stifle laughter. But apparently the Holy Spirit also has a sense of humor. The spirit, which speaks in a still, small voice, is probably best heard when we quiet the noise of our own minds and listen for God. It helps to pray, to ask God to speak to and through us. And let me close with an experience I, taught, I had that taught me, yes, indeed, God was still speaking. I was in the first parish after my ordination, I was the associate pastor, and I became good friends with Cheryl Raz, the choir director. Cheryl had uh, grown up in, a, in the next UCC church over, and her parents, who had spent many years living overseas working for the U.S. government, had retired and moved back and were now living in that church living in that neighborhood of that church and attending the church where she had grown up. Her father, who had had cancer many years earlier, at a time when they really didn't know about doses for, of radiation and chemo, how strong they should be, had survived his cancer but had gotten heart damage from the strong doses of the medication and treatment. And because of the work he had done with the U.S. military overseas, he was qualified to go to the veterans' hospital. One day, 
I was in the office and I got a phone call from Cheryl and she was just in a panic. Her father had had a massive heart attack and they were taking him to Veterans Hospital and she wanted me to come. She wanted me to be there. So I said, of course I'll come. And I got in my car and it was about a 15, 20 minute drive from the, our church to, to the hospital. And all the way there, I, see, I, I was feeling, of course I'll come, but I'm also feeling, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I knew, if I'd met her parents, they'd visited our church several times. And, I, I, and Cheryl had said to me, if he dies, I don't know how my mother will survive it. And so I'm feeling highly inadequate, <laughs> highly inadequate to the task ahead of me. And all the way there, I just prayed, dear God, please show me what I need to do and say. Dear God, please show me what I need to do and say. Well, when I got there, I got there just after he had passed. And we were in the emergency room with him and the staff let the family stay there with him as, you know, they said, you can stay as long as you want. But 10 minutes later, they came in and said, I'm sorry, there's been a big crash on the freeway and we're gonna need this space. So I had the presence of mind to ask the nurse if there was a chapel and there was and suggested we all go to the chapel. And there we prayed together and I talked with the family. Cheryl's mom asked me to be part of the, one of the officiants at the funeral. And after the funeral, when we were at the Raz family home, Mrs. Raz said to me, or not Mrs. Raz because she was Cheryl's mother, but Cheryl's mother said to me, came over and I sat down to talk with her and she said to me, I don't know how to thank you. If it hadn't been for what you said to me and said to us in the chapel, I don't know how I would have gotten through this. And I sat there and I said, I'm so glad it was helpful. And that's all I could say because I could not remember a word of what I had said. And to this day, I don't know. I don't think God wanted me to just rely on using it again. I do kind of hope that someday God's going to tell me what it was I said. But in those moments, the Spirit spoke, not me. I just pray that we all, in our lives, will have many opportunities when we experience God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen.